Hello and welcome to another episode of the Metal Shop Podcast with me, Big Frog. Me, Mike Castleberry. And this week we are finally getting into the deep dive of Van Halen 1. Fuck yeah. So, uh, I gotta tell you, you know, talk about Van Halen 1. Um, I would have to say I, I have a hard time thinking of anything else that could maybe take this this spot. Best first album from a band of all time. Yeah. Yeah, I would have to say so. I mean, you know, Black Sabbath obviously was a, you know, seminal, huge album. But, yeah, I think with the energy and the newness of it and everything that the that the first Van Halen album really brought to the world definitely um, was earth-shattering in its um impact at the time i think yeah i'm just i'm trying to think of any other album that could potentially rival it as as far as it being a fully formed like this is what the fucking band is Mm -hmm. you know maybe i know you're not a big fan of guns and roses but if you you know unbiased about it like appetite for destruction is right there with just like there's not really a weak track on it which oh for sure which is a shame because i really like guns and roses but i when i say that i think i mostly just mean i like appetite for destruction because it immediately they went off the rails and they blew up you know they blew up huge then they disappeared almost as fast because they did the use your illusions which they basically had one good album of material across two albums. Right. And then they're fucking done. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say in that case, I mean, Appetite for Destruction is probably their best album. I think a lot of people would probably agree on that. And there's a lot of people that think that Van Halen 1 is their best album. You know, I go back and forth on which one's the best one, but it's always either Van Halen 1 or whatever else you know or you know fair warning fair warning in my case yeah but when van halen first came out uh, we were re- i wasn't really into uh hard rock or rock yet um it was i was in the process i got into uh hard rock more a couple of years later but van halen was on the radio you know running with the devil was on the radio jamie's crying uh, Feel Your Love was on the radio. You Really Got Me was on the radio. So we did hear those songs on the radio and stuff. But in those days, I mean, like a car stereo in those days was just like a regular ass radio that came in the car. It wasn't like a sound system like you have yeah. in cars nowadays. So hearing it in the car or hearing it on somebody's little boom box, you know, on the radio or whatever was cool. Surely you got the idea of what, it sounded like, but it wasn't the same as when you put that album on the first time on your big ass home stereo because everybody had big ass home stereos at the time with these big speakers with big woofers and that shit really hits you on a different level when you first put it on at home on the stereo. So when we got those first um, Van Halen records, which was I think we got one and two at the same time. And so we listened to one first, you know. Really, I mean, the sound of it was so much different than anything else that was going on at the time. The guitar was different. 
Dave was different with his screams and and his raps and you know in his style. The backing vocals, the huge choruses with Michael Anthony was different. There were so many things that were different about this record that it was like it really blew away anything that came before it as far as we were concerned. Oh man, and it's a what's a trip too is how they how many times they got passed up on before they finally got their break cuz you know there's there's the whole story how Gene Simmons discovered them and mm-hmm. this and that but Gene Simmons originally like cuz he he helped them with their demo and everything else but that demo didn't get them a record deal right you know it was what ended up happening is the producer that uh checked them out he admit I forget the name of the producer now, but he admitted later that he fucked up because he wanted to check him out. So what he did is he invited Van Halen to this like kind of studio setting mm-hmm. and had him play. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Well, this guitarist is really good, but I don't know about this singer." Mm-hmm. You know, so he wanted to sign Eddie, and you know, Eddie stood by the band. Dave writes about that in his autobiography that at the time he felt like he just fucked up, like he ruined their chances. He's like, oh my God, am I a shit singer? Did I just ruin this for everybody else in the band? Mm -hmm. And then the guy, you know, the dude that eventually did sign them and everything, he went and saw him play at a club and he saw Dave in that environment. And he's like, this is a fucking star. So the dude before was saying, he's like, I should have seen them play live in their environment Mm -hmm. so i could really get what it was about because van halen just in an empty room isn't van halen and he's like saying like that's one of his biggest mistakes was judging van halen based on uh that performance that wasn't you know up to you know that wasn't up to their standards basically right totally like you know props to gene simmons for for seeing them and knowing what they could be and all that but there was a couple of things that, you know, he did wrong. First of all, him producing the demo. Gene's never been a good producer. Most of the early Kiss albums that don't really sound very good, you know, they sound kind of dead. And, and really, compared to what later would be Van Halen 1, the demo does sound dead. You know, he flew them to New York to record it. They didn't have all of their equipment, you know. It's kind of almost sound... Who knows? They may have been using Kiss's equipment, for all I know, at the record plant in New York. So, it doesn't really sound like Van Halen would sound. Um, You know, there's two years in between the recording of the demo to the recording of the album. You know, maybe... Just that little fine-tuning of the songs, the fine-tuning of Eddie's sound. You know, he probably got that new tremolo system, you know, banging during that time and was able to do a lot more things and still stay in tune. All those things made a big difference in whether or not, like, the impact that it would have. You know, the production of Ted Templeman, you know, all these things really made the impact so much greater And I kind of compare it to what Randy did, like, on Quiet Riot 1 and 2, the albums that were only released in Japan or whatever, didn't really have that same impact where, I mean, obviously, if you listen to it, you're like, wow, that's a badass guitar player. But not something earth-shattering like the way that Eddie's was, 
because of the way it was presented and the sound that it was presented with and how upfront it was and everything that just made it stand out. Yeah, well, I think that could be attributed to with uh, as awesome as Randy is. And Randy's got a great tone himself, but nobody was like as tweaker obsessive about their tone as Eddie was. Mm-hmm. Like he had the whole brown sound thing and everything else. Like he he was obsessed with he had a sound in his head mm-hmm. that he needed to get out. It's funny because like he first he came up with different tricks because he couldn't afford the the equipment at the time. Mm-hmm. Then he came up with, you know, different tricks with the amps and everything else mm-hmm. to kind of Frankenstein it a little bit and or just like, you know, little things like how he was able with the we talked about this a long time ago before where the stuff of like how he had uh, basically fucked with his amp. So like the the voltage basically uh, served as his volume basically Mm -hmm. you know he was just a mad scientist and it's like it's interesting because later on he gets a little more self-serious about it um but he's he's definitely a musical genius so i can see why after a while he's getting a little fucking tired of dave down the road because eddie's uh, he's legitimately a, a musical genius and he has this fucking vision that he's trying to realize. And then he's got Dave, who's a great frontman. But Dave isn't like... I wouldn't call Dave a serious musician. I'd call him an excellent showman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. But, you know, like it's like the, the arguments they got in before where it's a Dave. Well, half the work is done if we do a cover song. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But at the same time, Dave has this, he's so fucking ADD, he can't stand sitting on his ass. So when Eddie wants to take a break, Dave is like, we need to get in the studio. We need to get in the studio. We need a tour. We need to do this. We need to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of funny in that sense, too, because Dave wanted, wants to constantly produce. He wants to constantly move. He wants to constantly work. And Eddie... Just sometimes he wants to chill the fuck out. Right. When you uh, look at the contributions, Dave's contribution is just as much in substance. You know, he probably brought just as many fans. He probably brought just as many chicks. He probably brought just as many eyeballs to the band. But his contributions as far as work are nowhere near what they what Eddie's are or even other dudes in the band had to put so much more work into it, but Dave just, you know, shows up and, and is Dave, and that's... And it's the Dave show. Yeah, that's enough for sure. All right, I guess when we start with this, we should start at the beginning. That's Running With The Devil. Give me your uh, initial uh, feeling of the song. Well, honestly, it's a it's a good song. It's not my favorite on the album or anything. Right. Um. And I honestly, because of the way they did things back in the day, I wouldn't have let off with that track. Right. I would have let off with Eruption. <laughs> which is what, remember we had talked about this before, where for a while I thought it did. Yeah. And it's because I started mixing up Van Halen 1 and that first uh, Van Halen Greatest Hits album. Right. And the Greatest Hits starts with Eruption. Right. 
but it doesn't have you really got me on it. <laughs> right. So it goes into like Jamie's crying or something immediately after that. Oh, which I hate. I have, you know, I have a, that pet peeve about, I mean, with Van Halen, it never really materialized because, you know, Eddie does his spotlight solo live. It's not necessarily eruption and it doesn't end the way eruption mm-hmm. ends. So I don't really need it to go into you really got me. But if they did play it live like that, I would need it to go into you really got me because that's the natural. Like I hate when Sabbath does that EV one five zero and it doesn't go into the mob rules or other you know yeah. or or if, or if uh, Judas Priest played the Hellion and it didn't go you know some things have to go. That would be so weird. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. Well, it's like well. Iron Maiden uh, would do uh, the uh, Ides of March. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. The Ides of March, but then they would like never go into Wrathchild. Right. And yeah, <laughs> and it should. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. I agree with, with, uh, with all those things. But um, yeah, definitely thought that Eruption could have gone first. It would have been a really ballsy move to put um, Eruption first. But I guess they decided they wanted to go with a song. And if you're going to go with a song, that's kind of cool with, with the bass intro. It's, yeah. it's kind of cool way to start um, to start the song. Honestly, I just think it doesn't showcase. It doesn't show because it's got uh, of all the solos on the entire album. Mm-hmm. It probably has the weakest one. It's barely a solo. So yeah. it kind of I it doesn't showcase it, everything that's awesome about Van Halen right off the bat. Whereas I think if you went erupt if you started it with eruption, then you really got me. You're just like bam, bam. Okay, so this is what Van Halen is. Um, even yeah. if it's a cover song, it's got Dave doing all the screams and everything else on the song. Right. And so that you know, far be it for me. I know I'm I'm. It's easy to fucking armchair quarterback, but right. that's I would have done it with eruption because that's that is the signature fucking thing on it. This is saying this is the new fucking greatest thing in the world in guitar right now. Like this is right. the guitar hero moment. So right, you know, you're right in a sense with uh, running with the devil. Instead of really having a solo, it just has those little lead parts. That aren't necessarily solos, just thrown in lead parts. And while they're super cool... Yeah, you're right. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, it was kind of more of a teaser of everything that Van Halen does. Had a little bit of it, but without really having the whole thing. So yeah, I kind of agree that maybe, probably, Eruption should have been the first track. And so let's go forward to Eruption. Uh, give me your take on Eruption. <laughs> I mean. I don't know if there's anything left to say about Eruption. Like, you know, I just started off saying it should be about it. We've talked about it a million times on the podcast, but maybe this is the first time someone listens to the podcast. They see we're talking about Van Halen 1 and they decide to take a look. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I mean, fuck, dude. It's like, it's the 
spotlight solo instrumental whatever you want to call it that that everything else is compared to Mm -hmm. um if you've ever heard like there's so many times you can listen to a solo or something you you just hear pieces of eruption Mm -hmm. and a lot of stuff all the time and i it's i'm sure it's not intentional i think part of it is anytime you start double tapping Mm -hmm. you're gonna kind of fucking sound like you're playing eruption right um so that's you know eddie just fucking whipping his dick out (laughs) on a track and just saying you know what this is all the crazy shit that i do and it's not even all the crazy shit but it's got most of it but right that's where no you know other people had done the double tapping and everything else before Mm -hmm. nobody had quite done it like that Mm -mm. so and featured it so prominently and the fact that I could, I heard that for the first time in the 90s as a teenager mm-hmm. and was like, oh, shit. Like, you know, that and it blew me away when there, I've heard dudes that have all been in, it, inspired by that since then. Um, that really speaks to just how how impressive of a solo that is. Like it was still I don't know if it's like that anymore. I don't know what the kids are trying to compare themselves to but the fact that you know when i was hanging out with the guitar kid in my high school my senior year so it's like 98 99 and everybody Mm. was like lance learned how to play eruption by ear bullshit no fucking way blah 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 and he fucking would bust it out and play he would play eruption perfectly um and that was still like the most impressive thing now the problem was is he couldn't write eruption or anything like that right but that was at the time when you're he was like 16 you know the fact that he could play it at all was cool but you know other people that used to be in a band with him used to clown on him all the time and say uh he didn't play with enough feeling Mm. so when he would when he played his own solos uh they would always say oh you don't have feeling it's just a bunch of tricks right you know right and he would get pissed he's like what the fuck does that even mean that's that's practically the criticism of every 80s metal guitar player almost so he shouldn't feel bad on that Uh, i think uh, a lot of people got that man you know eruption for me it was like obviously i was blown away when i heard it Obviously, it was, you know, everything in a minute and a half or whatever it is. Eddie shows you, like, everything that he's got in his bag of tricks, which is, you know, the sound, the techniques, the tricks, and the just little in-between things that were just barely starting to come out. Like, you know, obviously, nowadays, everybody knows, you know, Zach Wilde and the pinch harmonics. Then they squeal. They fucking scream. Eddie used to do it in a more subtle way where he just like put a little bit more glimmer on the note. It wasn't so much of a squeal, just a different sound than the note would normally make. And he would make like different variations of that. And that's all over the song. You know, um, obviously the tremolo dive bombs and then it comes back into tune, which was what the fuck that never happened before, (laughs) you know the tapping things um which obviously 
there's so much about did he do it first did he do not but by now we know that he didn't do it first but the question really is what did he do first and what he did first as far as the tapping is i'm gonna throw in a little music theory 101 here <laughs> basically we have chords and the chords are notes that sound good together and you strum it and it and it becomes a chord you could also pick that chord one note at a time and that's an arpeggio like the beginning of stairway to heaven that's the arpeggio of an a song of an a chord dun, 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 dun. You know, and then certain dudes found out, hey, if you do arpeggios fast, that sounds kind of cool. Like Richie Blackmore in uh, Man on the Silver Mountain, where during the Come Down with Fire part, Richie's doing that. But he has to like mute each string as he picks it to make it not blend into each other. And he tries to do it fast. Because it's like, if I could do this fast, it's going to sound really cool. And it did. But he couldn't really do it that fast. With Eruption is the first time that we ever hear somebody doing rapid fire arpeggios super faster than anybody else has ever been able to do it and the reason he can do it that fast is because he figured out how to do it with this tapping technique So that's the thing that Eddie did first and that's the thing that everybody copied and everyone was still trying to find out even newer ways to do it all the way up until like Ingve found out oh shit hey I can do this by sweeping all these notes so you can play eruption like Ingve style if you wanted to doing it with sweeps instead of with tapping but before the tapping, before Eddie, there was no other way to do it. There was no way to do it until he did it that way. So that was Eddie Van Halen's invention. While he didn't invent the tapping per se, he invented the tapping as a way to do fast arpeggios and create a new sound that would be uh, something that would be copied in hard rock and heavy metal forever until this day and like i said like you said are kids still trying to learn it today absolutely and when you say your friend knew how to play eruption let me tell you he was in the he's in the minority i've heard a lot of people say oh yeah and he was playing eruption and he taught me to play eruption and whatever 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 yeah you probably heard a little piece of eruption or um a couple of pieces put together of eruption or whatever but to find some dude who could play eruption from beginning to end perfect i don't know none of those dudes 
you know, um, yeah. I can't do it. I don't know anybody who can do it right now uh, as a friend of mine. Uh, I'm sure, like, you know, professional dudes can do it. Dimebag Daryl, even after he was famous, used to play Eruption on stage sometimes to fucking, you know, to get, and he played Randy shit, and he played some other shit too, but most dudes cannot uh, approach it. It's one of those things that people say they can do, but I've seen very few guys actually pull that shit off. Now, keeping in mind, this was over 20 years ago, so <laughs> he might not have been doing it as good as I thought either. I was 18, you know, and I've seen this 16-year-old kid shred his ass off playing Eruption. It right. sounded correct to me. Um, well, there you go. But, you know, it's kind of funny, too, because, uh, you know, reading Dave's book, uh, he talks about how unique of a guitarist Eddie was and how Eddie used to do that shit that a lot of guys back in the day did where he played with his back to the mm-hmm. audience because mm-hmm. he didn't want anybody stealing his shit. They figure out, you know, he figured out that, you know, the arpeggio, fast arpeggio thing. He didn't want nobody else to figure it out because this is his, like, ace in the hole. Mm-hmm. I remember um, hearing Kiss would harp about guys that did that back in the day. Uh, I want to say, like, uh, Leslie West from Mountain would do shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um I'm trying to remember because I know there's at least one guitarist like that that Gene would really fucking harp on all the time. And it pissed him off because you go to pay to see his show and everybody's got their fucking backs to you and this and that. Mm-hmm. So uh, Dave, I guess, had that same kind of feeling where he started getting on Eddie's shit and being like, you can't be fucking playing with your back to the goddamn crowd, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it makes you look like an asshole. Yeah. And you know, we're a party band and he's like, I want people to steal my shit. And he's right. like, dude, nobody's going to be able to steal your shit. Like just fucking play it. Let him try. <laughs> you know, he's like, whatever, let me get this first album out first. And then, I'll, and then I'll turn around. I promise. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So, Obviously, man, I mean, obviously, you can't say enough about Eruption. I think uh, what at 1 minute 42, I would think uh, maybe along with Hendrix's uh, Star Spangled Banner or whatever, uh, this would be right there with the most impactful 1 minute 42 of guitar that you would ever fucking hear. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And God, at least, you know what? At least when people are trying to do Eruption, it's more... A lot of times it's a piss take or it's just a fun thing. Mm-hmm. I am so fucking over hearing a million different guitar renditions of the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, yeah. They're mostly bad. Yeah. Well, none of them. Fu- like, when we went to go see Ace Freely. No, you missed out on that first part. You shut up a little late. Oh, yeah. You missed the first band. Uh, what's his face? That he did a shit rendition of the Star Spangled Banner. Mm. And I was like, this is going to suck. And yeah. the rest of this, his set was badass yeah and i was just like why would you lead with that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah one of those things all right you really got me a cover i didn't know it was a cover at the time i don't know if, if you knew or uh go ahead give me your impressions of you really got me i mean i had heard the kinks version um plenty of times on the radio uh because you know it was on the oldies station quite a bit that my mom listened to so i had heard that I'd heard that plenty of times before I heard the Van Halen version. I just thought it was a really cool cover. It's definitely, it shows one of the strengths the band had is, you know, this is from their club days where, you know, 
when you're playing in a club, you need to pl- like play a lot of fucking songs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they had a huge back catalog of covers that they're doing that they started mixing their originals in over the years. Mm-hmm. Because the whole thing is you got to keep the crowd entertained for hours at times. Mm-hmm. So they had this repertoire of songs that they play. And it's always easy. If you pick a good a song that people like already and do it cool, people are going to be like, oh, yeah, this is pretty sick. It's that gamble, though, because if you pick a song that people like and it sucks the way you do it, they're going to be like, oh, fuck these jagoffs, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of a... <laughs> yeah, so it's... I mean, it's cool as shit. Like I said, I would have had that... For me, I would have made that my one-two punch to start the, the record if I was in charge. You know, track order. You know, what, what do I fucking know? You know, this is still, I think it might be still the best selling Van Halen album. So I don't think the track listing was really a problem. <laughs> it's not like if they switched it up and if I do, they would have sold 10 million more. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you really got me was one of the songs that was on the radio in those days. Like I probably could have heard this one and then heard the Kinks one. And not even really put it together that it was the same song for me. You know, besides just the chorus and then and the words, if I got to that part, I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, there you go. But before that, not so much. And again, because I didn't come from like rock and roll, I didn't even know who the Kinks were. Like, I think I knew who Van Halen was before I knew who the Kinks were. So I didn't really put it together in that way. But um, the funny thing is, is that Really, it's only uh, 15 years apart, you know, from when the um, Van Halen album came out in 78 to the Kinks album came out in 63. So 15 years had gone by and you'll never hear a guitar sound or any instrument sound change that much in 15 years. Like if you went from uh, a 2006 guitar sound to guitar sound now it's the fucking same you know it it might be easier to get now and easier to have less noise and and stuff like that but for all intents and purposes it's the same sound you couldn't get a much different sound than the guitar sound from the kinks you really got me to the van halen you really got me Uh, 
you know, and that's that the Kinks were cutting edge at the time in 63. They were like one of the first bands to start cutting up their speakers and trying to get distortion and trying to get, you know, so probably to the kids in those days, it sounded just as heavy as the Van Halen one sounded to us. So in that way, it translates. But as far as, you know, just actual sonics, man, what a world of difference in a guitar sound and in, in a whole sound of of the song. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, it w- it's what's interesting, though, is when you take a look, just when you look at the guitar sound of Eddie Van Halen, though, and his sound was heads above anything else going on at the time. Like, it was... Mm-hmm. It was that much different from like in his contemporaries, like because you know the guitar sounds evolve over time, and obviously you got heavier and heavier and heavier, and we had stuff like Black Sabbath already, and the Sabbath were kind of on their tail end mm-hmm. at that point, but you'd already had stuff like Children of the Grave that just had that just heavy fucking crunch to yeah. it, you know, you know, you had Richie Blackmore mm-hmm. kind of. Um, Almost like the beta test version of a shredder. Right. Like he's probably the shredder, the most shreddy guy leading up to Eddie. Yeah. Type of thing. Yeah. So you had some of those pieces there and then you just have Eddie just bam. Mm-hmm. Uh, just sounding so ahead of his time compared to albums just coming out around that time period. So Yeah, and and on this song he does everything. You know, there's lead parts sprinkled throughout the song. It's got the classic Van Halen solo. And then throughout the song, he's doing like trim dives, uh, doing um, harmonics, pick scrapes. He does a kill switch thing. All these things are like new shit, you know, and he and he throws them all into this one song. So if this was the only song that you heard on the radio, you would think, damn, man, that guitar player is doing like five or six things that I've never heard before. You know, just in this one song, I have to get this fucking album. You know, if you if you're into guitar music, you absolutely would have to go get this shit. All right. And so the next song on the album, song number four, Ain't Talking About Love. I know this is one of your favorites. Hell yeah. It's close. It's it's one of my, it's, it's hard for me to pick a favorite on this album, but it's kind of like 1A, 1B, 1C mm-hmm. type of thing. But Ain't Talking About Love is one of them. Mm-hmm. I feel like, okay, with, you know, when you take that first side, you got Running With The Devil. It's kind of showcasing Mike Anthony a little bit, like you said, because it's got that bass intro. So it's kind of letting him shine a little bit. It's a basic bass intro, but, you know, it sounds cool. You got Mike Anthony's vocals are really carrying Running With The Devil a lot. Eruption is Eddie going off. You Really Got Me is, you know, kind of the band showing how cool, how they can take a, a song you know and make it their own and then ain't talking about love is just like here is just some pure ass van halen this is like you know one of the first just this is the classic van halen guitar riff um to start it off with and and it's just fuck it you know the whole thing is just you know epic yeah but yeah no it's just like the classic riff cool solo just the you know great Dave lyrics. Uh, it's always like the 
the line, you know, you're semi good looking. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, yeah, that's perfect. That's exactly something Dave would say. Yeah, man. You know, that fucking riff, man. First of all, with the sound, it's like when you have your amp and your phaser and your and your uh, guitar turned up and everything, you basically have to like keep your hand on the strings when you're trying to get that kind of sound because if you let go, it's going to fucking feedback like crazy because that's how much gain you have to have to get those fucking notes to sound like that, like a little fucking palm muted like a thump, you know? And that picking part is fucking complicated as fuck. And you can play it. I mean, it's not a hard part. Everybody can play it, but you can't play it how Eddie plays it. hard just to even play it right just to hit every note cleanly because of the way that the notes are like um spread out it's really hard to play that shit right and somehow like he plays it like not only perfectly right but with fucking style and fucking like flair that you know just nobody else really brings like when you try to play that shit you're just trying to pull it off you're not really trying to fucking get all in the fucking nuances like he did. You're just trying to play it right. And even just that is hard as fuck. Also, too, like that song's got guitar all over it. So it's like a it's like a uh, it's like a guitar fest, even though it doesn't really have like a long proper solo. It's still like a guitar fest. And a lot of these songs really with for as much guitar that's on this album and as much as it seems like an outstanding guitar album, the solos are really short. Every There's no wasted notes. Every little piece has its purpose and fits perfect and, you know, elevates the song. So that's where you could see that Eddie was different from other, like, guitar heroes of the time or whatever because he cared more about the song than he cared about his parts in the song, and that was obvious. All right. All right. 
Oh, also a talking about love of Dave raps. So this is one of yeah. the first time where you hear Dave just kind of talking in the studio, and you're just like, okay, this guy's kind of different from other guys that we've heard before. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, it's you know, it's what a random thing. We're gonna. I don't want to make this thing talk about love podcast, but um, whenever uh, I hear this song too, I think about years and years and years ago uh, when you know is before Dave. When was back at Van Halen, it was before even Sammy had that reunion, but it was after Gary Sharon, and everybody's wondering what the future of Van Halen's gonna be. And I remember on like Rock 105.3, they're talking to like Sebastian Bach one night on like the Mikey show or some shit like that, mm-hmm. and he's you know they're joking around, and he's like, "Yeah, man, why don't you everybody write to Van Halen and tell him you want Sebastian Bach." As the new lead singer of Van Halen. And I always think about it because, uh, you know, it was Sebastian Bach on Rock 105.3, you know. And it's, uh, he's doing the, uh, you know, if you want, you got to be for it, baby. And he's just hitting the notes higher and higher and, like, trying to show off that he could do Van Halen and stuff. So, Damn, he was was auditioning, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. So that's why I always think of when there was those rumors multiple times. Oh, what if Sebastian Bach got in Van Halen? I was like, dude, the the live show would have been sick. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, for as long as it lasted, which probably wouldn't have been long, it probably would have been a pretty spectacular show. But, yeah, I wouldn't see that because, I mean, you know, because he's a drunk, too. And, you know, that would have just probably not been good for the band because I think Eddie needed, like, a... um, a sober driver sort of more than uh although i mean you know sammy's of course a party animal too but i don't think not like sebastian bach because sebastian bach gets in trouble when he drinks sam yeah yeah sammy is like the epitome of drink responsibly like it seems like it he likes to party but he likes to party like at home like he's like he's not gonna go out and get fucked up at the strip club and right. slap a stripper around and get knocked out by yeah. the fucking bouncer or something. He's just going to drink his Cabo Wabo tequila and invite everybody else over right. to drink his Cabo Wabo tequila. And he'll talk about Cabo Wabo and he's probably got a fucking... I imagine he's got some sort of grotto thing in his backyard yeah. that's all themed. And he has a cool Hawaiian shirt and everybody's like, wow, man, you're a party animal. Yeah, Ferrari safely in the garage. Yeah, but then nobody throws up or dies or anything, so... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not much of a party, if you ask me. But. There you go. <laughs> okay, the last track on the first side is I'm the One. What do you think? That is another of my uh, favorites of the record. And this one, it kind of... You kind of get that. It's like... Uh, I call it like, uh, this is my where I start referring to it, kind of like the Van Halen shuffle mm-hmm. uh, is the only mm-hmm. way I can describe the kind of sound of some of these songs they have. But uh, it kind of reminds you a little bit of like Hot for Teacher down the line. Mm-hmm. And you get uh, Alex kind of getting to show off a little bit more with his mm-hmm. double kicks and everything. Right. And then they have that whole doo-wop breakdown in the yeah. middle, which any other band any other band, that shit would be stupid. Right. But for some reason, you're listening to this song, you're kind of rocking out, and there's like, right. 
Yeah. You're just like bopping along to it. You're like, yeah. that's pretty cool. And they all harmonize really well when they're doing it. And that was kind of their their little tricks they like to do. That's like yeah. how when they show uh, at the end of Diver Down when they have Happy Trails, that was just something they did at like a like on at a radio station or something. They 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 had those little harmonizing doo wop things or yeah. vaudeville shit they did. So they had a little splash of everything in this yeah. record. So totally, I have it written down right there. Shooby doo wop. Yep, yeah, <laughs> same thing. Uh, yeah, man, it was like I, only they could pull that shit off. And uh, I like this song because it's kind of like faster than than the other ones. It's like a good way to close off the side. It's got a nice long solo, which of course I love. And then this one, like if you were to get like a VHS tape back in the days of learning how to play Eddie Van Halen style or whatever, a lot of the like little licks and tricks that you would learn are in this song, you know, because he kind of covers all of his little uh, go-to techniques in this one and in the outro also so this is one of those that's like van halen 101 everything that is van halen is in this song in spades and so it's a it's an excellent way to close off the side and starts with side two with uh jamie's crying (laughs) (laughs) jamie's crying also not one of my favorites on the record yeah i feel like both sides kind of start with not their strongest offerings mm. over i mean there's also the fact that flat out side one i think is just better than side two yeah for the most part there's some cool shit on side two but when we get to it's got that it's got the side two itis right a lot of times you you know you've already stopped listening to it before you get to the end yeah yeah that's true and um for me like Jamie's crying was a radio song, and it, so it was a hit, and it was something that we heard uh, a lot even before we got the record. But to me, it was kind of the antithesis of like what Van Halen was, because it seems like you know, kind of like not a happy song. You know, Jamie's crying after all, and made her feel so sad and all that. You know, so it's kind of like a you know a kind of downer kind of Van Halen song where. Little Dreamer is kind of also it's kind of a it's kind of a downer song, you know. It's she's you know, somebody's sad, somebody's upset, 
It's not, you know, the usual happy-go-lucky Van Halen songs that we're used to. You know, Little Dreamers kind of like that, too. And because of that, I mean, it's, you know, James Crane is a great song. Little Dreamers is a great song, but they're not, like, among my f my favorite Van Halen songs because they're not the prototypical Van Halen song. I could agree with that there's uh you know it's i mean you gotta have a sad song or two on any album but uh yeah it's just for some reason that's one of the tracks i don't skip tracks very often with uh with van halen but if i'm gonna skip one it might be jamie's crying mm -hmm. it could be just because it's on the radio so damn much that mm -hmm. when i'm just listening to the album at home i've heard it so many times i'm bored of it you know because mm -hmm. you when you hear nowadays when you hear van halen on the radio it's eruption and he really got me it's mm. jamie's crying it's uh running with the devil mm. and then it's like maybe panama hot for teacher right stuff like that so there these are the songs you've heard eight billion times mm -hmm. so you're kind of bored of them yeah <laughs> you know yeah in a sense that's true yeah for sure which brings us to Atomic Punk, which is a song, maybe because it's on the second side, maybe because it wasn't a single, that to me, it, it doesn't seem as played out as some of the other ones. It had that intro, which this was one of Ricky's favorite songs, one of my boy Ricky's favorite songs. And for the intro, he would like act like he was brushing his teeth, like, <laughs> you know, and and so we heard that shit. We didn't know what it was making that. I mean, we knew it was the guitar, but we didn't know how he did it. You know, later on, we came to figure it out. But uh, that really another is another thing that while you wouldn't necessarily put together Atomic Punk with what Tom Morello does in Raise Against the Machine when he does scratching on the guitar or whatever, mm -hmm. you wouldn't necessarily put those two things together. But in reality, it is the same thing. And it was something that Van Halen did first that probably inspired other dudes to do it and could actually, you know, lead the way to futuristic guitar techniques that fools like Tom Morello would be doing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that's tricks that Eddie even does later on uh, better on shit like uh, uh, Fair Warning. Because there are definitely times where I've listened to Fair Warning and I'd hear something in there and I'm like, oh, so that's where Tom Morello got that or something, you know. Mm -hmm. The problem with Tom Morello is he's like, then he decided, you know, uh, that's his thing he's going to lock on to. So, you know, you have, you know... You have Zach Wild with his pinch harmonics and you have other guys that decide like, okay, like this is my gimmick, like how, you know, you got Ingve with the sweep arpeggios mm-hmm. and then you got Tom Morello making beep boop noises yeah. all the time and doing like sounding like a fucking turntable scratching and this and that and it's cool, but Right. I've never heard that fool just play like a regular ass solo right. that you can kind of get down with. And it's the the problem with that is like later on when he does that part on uh, Scary Little Green Men on the uh-huh. Ozzy Osbourne record from last year. I didn't even fucking know it was Tom Morello. I just thought yeah. they had alien beep boop noises on it. And then you're <laughs> like, oh, yeah, Tom Morello is on that. And I remember reading that and being like, oh, I want to check that out. And then I was like, I don't know what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> you know right. i thought like he was gonna suddenly play like randy or something it's like you know and it's i don't want to get on too much of a tangent about tom morello but i did see a thing on facebook a while back with him uh with him like having like a guitar class thing he was selling and i'm right. like what the f-? i was like man i know he has to know the fundamentals but like oh yeah he does he could play but tom does have sick riffs Right. You know, but still. <laughs> right. Yeah, and he can play. He can he does like these nice little legato things and um he's a really clean player. He just doesn't do it that often, so it, so people don't really get a chance to hear it, but he can yeah, he can do that shit. But yeah, he did just like everybody else. He got a lot of shit from Eddie, just like everybody else. You know, even Randy when when he did come out with the Aussie stuff and he decided to do some tapping on it, he did it in Eddie's style. Like he, he he took it and took it one more little step further, but it was definitely derivative of what Eddie was doing, of Eddie's idea. So yeah, man, a lot of people. I mean, you know, and, and it just goes to show. I mean, that's why, you know, it was Eddie's birthday again the other day. So again, um, the internet lit up with, uh, with Eddie stuff. You know, there's that new sick-ass mural that they put at the Guitar Center in Hollywood. Big, huge, just Eddie shredding, you know. And all that shit is earned, man, because just every little thing, you know. Even this song, we didn't even mention that uh, it got used later for fucking Tone Loke's fucking uh, Wild Thing rap. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of songs that Van Halen uh, has had sampled by other people. Um, but uh, I totally forgot about the fact that, yeah, Tone Loke sampled that. And then we didn't even mention the fact that, you know, the longest running Van Halen, Dave Era Van Halen tribute act is the Atomic Punks. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. I assume it's the longest running because they were they were a thing when I was in high school. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and th- they're pretty good. They're actually the uh, the tribute band that sounds the most like Van Halen. Whereas Van Halen is the one that kind of more captures the live energy of the band. So either way, if you're going to go see a, a, a Van Halen tribute band, I suggest those two. Atomic Punks and Van Halen. They're, well, you'll have a good time, bottom line. If you like Van Halen, you'll, you'll have a good time. All right. 
The next song on the album is Feel Your Love Tonight, which was not a single. Uh, hilariously enough, it seems like the single to me. It feels like it should be. Um, it's one of my favorites on the album also. Mm-hmm. And it's another one of those uh, Dave talking about love when he means other things. Uh, right. <laughs> song. When you got, you know, ain't talking about love and feel your love tonight. Neither are talking about love. Uh, <laughs> right, right, for sure. Uh, I think, yeah, man, it's got, you know, great chorus. It's just like you, you, you can never forget that song. You know, really, Michael Anthony comes to the comes to the surface on that. And here's the thing with this album again. I got to go back to Ted Templeman because the way he recorded those vocals. It's perfect, you know, and the way he recorded the guitars is perfect. The way he recorded the drums. I think you can't, everything can't be up front, so the bass is a little bit subdued. I would like it to be a little bit louder. One of the only things that actually sounds better on the Zero demos than on the first album is that Michael Anthony, you can hear him better on the demos. And he is doing quite quite a few, you know, nice things. So, yeah. If anything, I would say the bass is a little bit subdued. But hey, uh, other than that, I mean, the production on this album is fucking awesome. And I've seen some things like, you know, oh, what if Mutt Lang had produced the first Van Halen album? What if this? What if that? Nah, man. The perfect dude produced this album at the perfect time with the perfect band. And that's how it came out like this. Anything yeah. else was taken or added or anything would not make it better. This, oh yeah, yeah, totally. You know what? I don't really fucking like Mutt Lang all that much, anyway. So, I mean, I get it, but he's everything's too overproduced that he does for me. I don't like it. 
it's I like so to much. still have that grime on it, you know? Yeah. You know, I mean, well, you know, he produced Back in Black, which, I mean, fucking, obviously, is a great fucking sounding record. But after that, he got a little carried away. He got a little probably too, you know, full of himself. And, you know, and even the dudes that, that made, you know, great albums with him, like, you know, Def Leppard or whatever, hated him at the time. You know, mm-hmm. or like, man, fuck this guy. But, you know, what it, whatever. But, it, you know, there you go. You know, Mutt Lang, Back in Black, Pyromania, Ted Templeman, you know, Van Halen. He, he really made it happen. It had to everything be perfect, man. The perfect sound, the perfect time. Everything had to be perfect to catch lightning in a bottle like they did on this fucking record. For sure. And the next song, yeah, Little Dreamer is next on the album. And you go ahead. You know, um, I like the song. This is where we get to, you know, okay, here's the problem. This is where we get to the end of the album-itis. Uh, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is where I'm a little over it. I'm probably going to, I'm either, the thing is, is I'm not about to turn it off. What ends up happening is I tend to skip to Ice Cream Man, mm-hmm. and then I'm kind of done. <laughs> right. So right. Little Dreamer might be my most skipped song on this mm-hmm. album. Mm-hmm. And it sucks because it's a good song, but I don't usually just sit and listen to albums in their entirety anymore. Right. So. Right. You know, uh, like I said earlier, this one, you know, it's not the happiest song. It's not the most, you know, upbeat like Van Halen. It's not necessarily what I like Van Halen for, but with Van Halen, like, you know, I never forward anything because for the simple fact that I always want to hear the solo. I always want to hear the guitar parts. And in this one's no different because this song's got like the solo on this one is like pre-Brad Gillis. It's like the most tremolo that you're going to uh, hear on a song. He's doing all these crazy tremolo things, but he still can come back and play the rest of the song because it stays in tune because he knew this dude named Floyd Rose and Floyd Rose, you know, uh, worked with him and got Eddie's feedback on how to make this fucking tremolo work better. And together they all made this shit to make it possible to do that. Because before that, yeah, Hendrix would go off on his tremolo and so would Blackmore, Uli Roth. But usually on spotlight solos or outros that were at the end of the song, so then they could switch out that guitar and be back in tune for the for the next song. This is new shit where you could go off on your tremolo, abuse it like that, and still play the rest of the song in tune. Brand new Eddie shit. You know, there's that famous story of um, Randy asking Eddie, hey man, how do you keep that guitar in tune like that? You know, with the with the Strat tremolo that he was using before. And and then Eddie telling Randy, oh man, you know, that's a secret Jeff Beck told me, bro, I can't tell you. You know, or something <laughs> like that to where Randy was like, oh, you know, kind of fuck this guy or whatever. But whatever. The fact of the matter is, 
that Eddie knew how to do this shit before other dudes did. And then when he got in on the ground floor with the Floyd Rose system, then he really had an added weapon that nobody else had. And he could do tremolo shit that nobody else could do. And this was highlighted on Little Dreamer and really on this whole album from beginning to end. And then, like you said, here comes Ice Cream Man, which really does seem like it should and would be the last song on the record. Oh, for sure. And it's another cover, but uh, this is where you get more of the Dave influence, I feel, because Dave really likes those types of old-timey songs mm-hmm. being repurposed, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just a big, big fan of that. He does it later with, like, Big Bad Bill is Sweet William Now and shit like that. Mm-hmm. But this is more rocked out where he takes, you know, starts with that acoustic intro that Dave's playing, and it's like mm-hmm. just a cool little cool little ditty and then bam you go full power trio for the rest of it and it's just such a fun it's that switch mm-hmm. when it goes from you know the acoustic intro to the full band dedicate one to the ladies sometimes if they need something to keep you cool i'm now sometimes if they need something to keep you cool Better look out now, though. Dave's got something for you. Tell you what it is. I'm your ice cream man. Stop me when I'm passing by. Oh, my, my. I'm your ice cream man. Stop me when I'm passing by. See, now all my flavors are guaranteed to satisfy. Hold on a second, baby. I gotta put my banana in Dixie cups. All flavors and push-ups, too. I'm your ice cream man, baby. Stop me when I'm passing by. See, now all my flavors are guaranteed to satisfy. Hold on one more. Well, I'm usually passing by just about 11 o'clock. <laughs> I never stop. I'm usually passing by just around 11 o'clock. And if you let me cool you one time, you'll be my regular style. All right, boys. Yeah. And it's just pow, engage, you know, and I don't know, it's cool. They tried to they try to replicate it a little bit with Stay Frosty on their last album. It's got the same vibe to it, but nowhere near as badass. Um, in my opinion. 
you know, I got to always say that I'm sure there might be someone out there that likes that song more. I don't know. Yeah, totally. Like, like when it, when it switches, it's almost, it's almost like, like in Wizard of Oz where it goes to color. You know, it's just like, whoa, man, what the fuck? And really that's kind of this, that's kind of this whole album. If I could equate it to something, I would say that the, the sound of Van Halen, the newness of the sound of Van Halen would equate to like when you, when you first saw uh, the Wizard of Oz in color and you're just like, fuck, I've never fucking seen nothing look, look like this before. And it's like, yeah, you know, ex- that's exactly what it is. And on um, on Ice Cream Man, you know, this Dave, you know, he's being cool, you know, the ice cream is a metaphor, you know, for <laughs> come get this dick, you know, <laughs> and whatever. So, you know, again, that's Dave. And like you said, the guitar parts, you know, it's, uh, it's acoustic, you know, early blues rock style you know when the guitar comes in he's eddie's still soloing like in that style it almost sounds as if like um elvis's guitar player suddenly was playing through fucking marshall stacks or something yeah you know so it gives you that feeling and you know it's awesome because it really shows the diversity of eddie and how many different things he can do and which he would continue to show over the years but on this one, we got a, a definite glimpse into uh, into what was different about Eddie Van Halen from anybody oh, else. Oh, for sure. You know, I the, I the only other guitarist I can think of that has that much range and in styles um, where they can just you know stylistically do like a hard rock song or an old school kind of rock and roll shuffle mm-hmm. type thing, and maybe like Brian May where he had such a wide variety of what he could do, you know, where he had the, the standard queen style, but then he would do, you know, a, a crazy little thing called love and mm-hmm, have that mm-hmm. old time rock and roll guitar, but it's updated. I, I got to hand it to those guys that are like that versatile, that can play multiple styles like that are always cool to me because, you know, a, a more cleaner rock and rolly solo to me, it's still fucking cool. Right. You know, like Fast Eddie was really good at that, you know, because he was they're just playing dirtier rock and roll. Exactly. Exactly. Totally. You know, and that's kind of a lost art, you know, because a lot of the guitar players that came after Eddie and were Eddie disciples were kind of in a way like one trick ponies where they could play that Eddie hard rock style. But that's really all they could do. You know, they couldn't jam no uh, 12 bar blues with whoever fucking happened by or whatever. It just wasn't part of the part of the gig. It wasn't what we were trying to do at all. So, yeah, definitely um, it's uh, something to admire that that type of versatility. All right. So the next and final song on the fucking Van Halen one is On Fire, which here you go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. On fire, you know what? I think I said that Little Dreamer might be my most skipped song. I actually yeah. think it's on fire. I feel like I usually get on fire and I'm kind of done with the record at that point. And it's like not that it's a bad song by any means. It's just there's like I've already gotten through the core of all the shit I like the most. And I just don't like it as much as I like Ice Cream Man or 
you know, feel your love tonight or ain't talking about love or, right, you know, whatnot. So. Yeah, see, to me, that's, that's what I put here. It's like the forgotten song, you know, but I love it because uh, to me, like, it's high energy. It, it's a it's a banger. It has a lot of the things about Van Halen that I love. And like, let's say that I've heard this album 50,000 times. Let's say that maybe half of those times I didn't get through the whole album. Well, then I've heard this song maybe 25,000 times less than the first song. <laughs> so it seems kind of like a newer song, like somehow. It almost kind of seems like it fits better on Van Halen 2 than on Van Halen 1. But it's kind of like you say, it's kind of the forgotten song or whatever, but I really, really dig it. When I hear it, I kind of get like a little bit like, oh, hey, you don't hear this song every day. So I love I love it, that about it also. So, yeah, yeah, it's a weird way to close the album. It might even be the wrong way to close the album, but to me, it's a badass song. You know, I do when I'm just if I'm flipping through and listening to dip, like if I have like Van Halen on shuffle. I'm probably not going to skip on fire because it is a fucking sick song. Right. And I see where you, what you mean, where it almost feels like it fits on Van Halen two more. Yeah. It kind of, it almost feels like it's in like that, uh, that same mold as like DOA or something. Yeah. But, um, no, it's a badass song, but it's just, it's the, the last track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> so I don't always get to it. If it was the first track, it's not like I'd be skipping it all the time or anything. So, right. There you go. All right, man. So that gets us to the end of the record. Shit. You know, I've been cranking this in the car as I fucking go here to there or whatever. And the thing about it, man, it's like it's really, really hard to believe that this album came out in 1978. Because if you compare it to albums that came out around that same time, 
there's no comparison to to what this sounds like, to what it feels like, the energy that came out of it, the inspiration for other people that came out of it. It's really like a fucking blockbuster album that you could delineate, okay, before this and after this are two different things. Oh, for sure. There's a, there's only a few times that that's happened in music, really. You know, it's kind of like, for guitar, I guess it's, you know, maybe the first Jimi Hendrix album. Mm-hmm. Then you got, you know, maybe like the first Black Sabbath and mm-hmm. stuff. But, you know, yeah, it's a definite, you know, marking point. It's like, you know, this is where everything changed again. Mm-hmm. All right. So that brings us to the end of our episode for the Van Halen 1 album. As you can tell, it's one of our favorite albums by one of our favorite bands. Um, I'm going to be cutting in the music, so you're going to get a little taste of at least uh, parts of each song. I'll probably put the parts of the song that I think are the most important. But uh, definitely, after you listen to this, if you listen to it, go back and listen to that album. Fucking Top Down Full Blast right <laughs> in the headphones or whatever and and just really get a get a good feeling fucking appreciate this fucking record man because there ain't too many like it for sure uh definitely man like i said and you got you got to play it fucking loud yeah that's one thing i get yelled at by my wife about because i i don't listen to music loud in the house but i do listen to it on my headphones loud yeah and she's constantly annoyed by having to try to speak over me listening to shit loud on my headphones <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, man, you don't you don't listen to fucking Van Halen quietly. Right. You don't listen to Metallica quietly. It's just it doesn't. I mean, I probably got fucked up ears. You know, yeah. I can't hear shit because I've been cranking my headphones up to like maximum since I was a teenager. Yeah, <laughs> that's the sacrifices we have to make, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So until the next one, this is me, Big Frog. Me, Mike Castleberry. And we are out.